Go ahead and open to 2 Peter chapter 3 and continue on in our study. Uh, such an awesome, the whole, the whole study's been amazing and encouraging and challenging and uh, got to listen. I, 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 was a, I was out last Sunday as well. I was at a church down in Sonoy. They're celebrating their 10th anniversary as a church and when they started I got to be, uh, they asked me to be an external elder as they were getting their leadership in place to kind of help oversee and talk through stuff and so I wanted to be there for that and uh, hated to, I hate not being here uh, but got to go back and experience it and just an awesome service, awesome sermon um, and so we pick up and we're going to be in just in, in chapter 3 verses 8 through 10 but really focusing in on the patience of the Lord, the patience of the Lord and um, Alistair Begg's one of my favorite preachers to listen to because he's such He's so faithful in how he handles the scripture, and he has a Scottish accent, which is just easier on the ears. And uh, he, he, I've heard him say this so much. He says, patience is something you admire and appreciate in the car behind you, and that drives you crazy with the car in front of you, right? Like, yeah, I, I want to be shown patience, but I don't really want or know how to show it. Hey, Adam and Lauren, I was with you all last Sunday. Yeah, um, I was talking about you and didn't realize you're in the room, but it was good stuff. Not all, it doesn't always go that way. Uh, <laughs> like, wait a second, what did I say? And the service was awesome. The pastor there is super smart, uh, but um. But yeah, patience, we know it, man, patience, right? Patience is a virtue. And I think about it, I so convicted this, this whole study. And, you know, I went back, uh, for those of us who have kids, you know, I, I go back to one of my, especially when my kids were young, um, not y'all, other kids, uh, but uh, especially when they were young, you know, they'd come up and they'd be like, you, you're, you're working on something, you're into something, you, you know, trying to, trying to get something accomplished in there. Dad, 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 wh- why can't we do this? Can we do this? Dad, why does why is this color smell this way? And dad, why, and can we later, dad, and, and you're like, all right, hey, just give me a minute, let me finish this. Dad, 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 and then finally you go, hey, listen, I just need you to be patient. <laughs> like me. <laughs> Blew it follow my example children <laughs> like, like you know that moment like and that's my wife is awesome she's always been awesome she is extremely patient and but you know like you catch her eye and there's that like we both know the irony here right like you, you're picking this up right yeah yeah like I'm not being patient and I want that from you and and we know it and and I think the patience of God is such an underrated attribute of who he is like I, think, I think if we rightly understood it, we would wake up thanking God for his patience that he did not take us out in, in our sleep. That, that throughout the day as you realize what you just thought and what you said and what you're doing in, in light of the holiness of God, in light of the grace and the mercy he's already shown you, we would just thank him, just thank him for his patience. And so tonight I'm excited because that's really what, is, what God is highlighting about himself in our text. So if you remember, we walked through already, you know, these scoffers, these mockers 
who are making fun of the doctrine of the return of Christ. That, that if you're a believer, we should hold fast to the belief that Jesus will return and we should hold fast to it in such a way that we believe that it could happen at any moment. That we should expect that it's gonna happen. That that should be a thought in our mind as we wake, as we go on our way, as we lay down, is that Jesus can come back at any moment. And these mockers are making fun of that belief, making fun of that truth and saying, oh, <laughs> where is he? What's going on? Like, why hasn't he come back yet? You still really believe that. 2,000 years later, and you believe that? You believe that Jesus is gonna ride in on a cloud? And they're mocking it. And we walk through how Peter dismantles and, and, and takes apart that argument that they make. And it, and it was awesome. And tonight, we go into the, okay, but for real, it has been 2,000 years since Jesus stood on that hill, and he told his disciples like, I'm coming back. Go get busy. Tell everyone about me. I'm coming back. And as he ascended into heaven and rode into heaven on the cloud of glory, and an angel stood there and said, listen, get busy. He just told you what to do. Get busy because he's coming back the same way as you saw him go. Well, that's been 2,000 years. So is it wrong to ask, why the delay? <laughs> like, what? why has it been so long? And tonight, Peter is going to tell us why. He's going to give us the why. So here, oh, starting my timer now. <laughs> Free introduction. So here, let me give you the main idea of the sermon tonight. Let me give you the main point, and then we'll work through it. Here's the main idea. Jesus hasn't returned yet because God in his patience is saving souls from eternal punishment through the spread of his gospel. But make no mistake, Jesus will return to judge the earth and all those on it. Read it one more time. Jesus hasn't returned yet because God in his patience is saving souls from eternal punishment through the spread of his gospel. But make no mistake, Jesus will return to judge the earth and all those on it. His patience is our salvation. So let's look at verse 8. I'll read 8 through 10 and then we'll work through it. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Lord, just pause to ask you again to, to be with us. Holy Spirit, that you would guide my thoughts and words, that they would be yours, that you'd use my, my, my thoughts, my tongue, my emotions, God, that I wouldn't be a distraction, but that you would preach to us your word and that we'd receive it with meekness. And I pray that you would save souls tonight. All right, so verse eight, he says, do not overlook this one fact. And this is in, this is in, you know, uh, in view of what he said earlier about the mockers, those who would scoff this reality. He says, they intentionally overlook. They intentionally overlook what they know, what God has already shown in history, what we can know from the word from creation, 
from how God has already intervened in human history. He says that they intentionally overlook it. He says, but beloved, so he turns his attention back to, he's talking directly to the church. He's talking to us. And he says, don't overlook this. Don't miss this. Get this. Don't overlook this. Don't overlook what? He says this one fact. It's one fact with many points. He says this, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And so he's, Referring back to the psalm that we read together just at the beginning of the worship service, Psalm 90, that Moses gave us. And, and he's referring back to how the Lord perceives and experiences the flow of time. And the point is, it's very, very different than how you and I experience the flow of time, right? And I like the way the CSB, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, put Psalm 90 verse 4. It says it this way. For in your sight, a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. The point isn't to give us some code for unlocking how the end times are going to play out. His point is, you, you want to know why God hasn't, or Jesus hasn't returned yet? Well, first is that God does not experience time like us. If you feel like it's been too long, when, when the script, if you have a problem with the fact that the New Testament says, yeah, the return of Christ is near, it's at hand, it's soon, it's imminent, we should believe that. The New Testament talks that way, and if we have a problem with it being 2,000 years, the first thing Peter would say to us, like he said to them when it had only been a few decades, is, hey, listen, God does not experience time like you do. I mean, we sang about it. He's the ancient of days. He's eternal. There is none above him, none before him, and all of time, it's in his hand. He's not bound by it like we are. We're bound by it, right? We, we are caught in the flow of time, right? We, we can't get out of it. We can't go back upstream. We can't go downstream any faster. We are experiencing time the way that time has been ordained to pass. God is transcendent over time. He's above it. He's beyond it. He created it. He is sovereign over it. He sees it all. He's all-knowing, and he is ever-present. So his experience, his perception of time is not like ours. So for God, yeah, it's been but a few moments since Jesus left that hill. He is coming soon, no matter how long it takes for us to see it happen. God transcends time. He is above and beyond it. He is eternal. He has sovereign authority over all of time. In fact, he is directing all of history to its appointed end according to his perfect wisdom and will. And we can relate to this some, right? Like uh, John Reinhauer, when he came in tonight, we are talking and uh, I don't even remember how we got there, but the conversation quickly went to John was saying, like, you know, in his 70s, now, how, how fast time has gone by, how quickly the years when his children were young and now his grandchildren growing up, and just, and, and you hear people talk, to, I, I say this, like, I cannot believe that my oldest is 13, that my current youngest is eight, like, that doesn't compute, like, it just seems like, right, we say things like this, it just seems like a moment ago, 
right? I remember when Molly was born. I was there. <laughs> Relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, you know, like an hour spent at the DMV, your perception of that hour is very different than an hour spent doing anything else, <laughs> right? Like your favorite hobby, right? Like, oh man, the time, our perception of it, so we, we can kind of get it. We can kind of get it, yeah, like for God, the passage of time is so different. And he says, remember that. Don't overlook that. The desire of the psalmist, Moses, is to contrast the eternality of God with the short span of human life. What Peter wishes to contrast is the eternity of God with the impatience of human expectation. All of the New Testament promises that Jesus will return soon. That is, it's close. That, it, that it's about to happen. That is a truth that we must understand, but we must understand it in light of God's timing and plan, not our perception or expectation. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. And here, Peter borrows from uh, Habakkuk, or if you were my Old Testament professor, Habakkuk, <laughs> which he would say it, though, like, and it sounded like he was coughing up a hairball, but Habakkuk, chapter 2, 2 and 3. What's happening here, the Lord is showing Habakkuk, who's having trouble with what God's doing, because God's using a wicked nation to judge Israel, who's wicked, but in Habakkuk's estimation, not as wicked as the nation that he's using. And what God is saying to him is, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry, I'm gonna judge everybody. On the great day of the Lord, everyone will be judged. And he says this to him. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. Here we go. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The truth is, there is no delay. Everything is, a ha is happening according to God's plan. God said it himself in Isaiah. He is the Lord. There is no other. There's none like him. He has appointed the end from the beginning, and everything is happening according to his will. Peter does not deny the imminence of Christ's return. We see from 3.12 that he expects Christ to return soon, but Peter, like all the New Testament writers, does not prescribe when Christ would return or set a date. He preserves the tension between the imminence of Christ's coming and the uncertainty about when he will come. That's from Thomas Schreiner. And God is not slow. He is not slow. But the scriptures are written in such a way that every generation of believers should live with an anticipation that Christ should, could return in my lifetime, that it could happen any day. It could happen any day, and this pushes us, as we'll see in the coming weeks, towards holiness and purity and a passion for evangelism. And then he says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's patient. God is patient. This is God's underrated attribute. 
I think I've gone to this passage a lot every time I've preached since I studied Exodus 34 for a sermon for camp because I just didn't realize when I set out to study it just how much of a cornerstone this interaction between God and Moses is throughout all of the Bible. It's God revealing himself to us in such a powerful way when God says to Moses, I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. And God says, you can't see my face and live. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by. I'll let you see the backside of my glory. And here it is. And I will declare my name to you. And this is what God says as he passes by Moses. Answering Moses' question, how can I know you more? What are you really like? He says this. Then the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, here it is, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. He's slow to anger. What's he saying? He's patient. He's long-suffering. He withholds his wrath and his divine forbearance. God is patient. It's essential to his nature. If God wasn't patient, we would not be here talking about anything because he would have destroyed Adam and Eve from the very beginning. It would have been over. He would have just poured out his wrath because his wrath was there and it was real and it was holy and it was just. But in his patience, think about redemptive history and all the flawed heroes of the faith and how at any given time as you read the stories and you go, this guy's a knucklehead. What's she doing? Why, how can God be just and not just destroy how can he say that they're righteous? How can he forgive them? How can he love them? How can he, okay, well, fast forward. How can he forgive and love any of us? He's patient. Listen to Romans chapter 3, 23 through 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Here it is. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. His divine forbearance. This is his patient restraint, holding back his wrath. Listen to what Vine's Bible Dictionary says here about this word. His withholding punishment, it represents a suspense of wrath which must eventually be exercised unless the sinner accepts God's conditions. In Romans 3.25, it is connected with the passing over of sins in time past previous to the atoning work of Christ. How could he not just destroy Adam and Eve? How, why didn't he destroy Moses, the children of Israel in the wilderness as they grumbled? How, how could he show that patience is because in his forbearance, he held back his wrath until the right time. And it's no different than why he is patient with us or how he can be patient with us. 
It's because he stored up all that wrath, the wrath that we symbolically drank with the cup of juice. Because the cup that Jesus drank was the wrath of God stored up from the beginning for the sins of all time. How can he be patient with me? How can he be patient with you? Because there already has been a great and terrible day of the Lord. Throughout the whole Testament, there are these days of the Lord. On Israel, on Babylon, on Assyria, on all these little nations, on Judah. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is always the pouring out of wrath on the wicked and the salvation of the righteous. And there already has been a great day of the Lord. It was the day that Jesus hung suspended between heaven and earth on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he drank and consumed the wrath of God towards our sin so that God could be patient with us. Could be patient with us in your unbelief, in your rejection of the gospel, in your acting as if God is not there and does not see you, hear you, as if he's not really truly offended by sin. That's because Jesus absorbed his wrath that God can be patient with you in every single moment of your life and to offer you forgiveness and redemption, sonship, So he says, in answering this question, why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Is he slow or forgetful? Did he get lost or distracted? Is it all just made up? No. He's incredibly long-suffering. He is patient. He is so patient in order for men and women, boys and girls, to be saved. He says it, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So who is he talking about here? He's already said that God is patient towards you. So who's the you? Well, in, in verse one of chapter three, he says, and beloved, beloved. He says, don't, don't overlook this. Who are the beloved? He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He says, in this second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, I want to stir up your mind. The beloved in in. First Peter, the first letter he wrote, they're the elect. It's the church. He's talking to us. He's talking to Christians, and he's saying this. God is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come and reach repentance. The any and all, they're, they're us. They're believers. What's he saying? God in his patience, God in his patience why has it been 2,000 years? Well, let me ask you this question. Aren't you personally glad it's been 2,000 years? Yes. <laughs> I'm glad Jesus did not come back before that weird thing in my throat. Got it. Thank you, Bree. I'm glad Jesus did not come back before 1998. That's when he saved me. I'm glad at least he waited till 
four weeks ago. Thank you. So when you say my boy, so when you say Walker, <laughs> why didn't he come back this morning? <clears throat> Man, maybe it's because, maybe it's because you need to hear this message, and you need to see the beauty, the beauty, of the patience of God towards you. That while you have known the truth of the gospel, you've continued to reject it. And maybe tonight, you'd cry out in repentance. You'd reach repentance. Because that's his plan. He is not coming back. He's not coming back to all reach repentance and faith. He's leaving no one behind. He's not leaving anyone behind. He's declared the end from the beginning. His will shall come to pass. And his will is he is not leaving any of his sons or daughters behind to perish, to experience eternal punishment. That is the hope and the beauty and the power of the gospel towards us in Christ Jesus. So don't reject it. Don't reject it. He's patient. He, he is more offended. He is more offended by the sin of the world, by its rejection, by its mocking, by all of its abortions and wars and hate and adultery, murder. He's more offended by all of it than any of us put together, but he suffers through it. He is long-suffering through it. Why? Because he's not leaving anyone behind. And you and I, if we've experienced that patience, if we can know I am saved, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, I'm not gonna spend forever in hell because God was patient enough to wait for me, then we should know in, that we need to, to look at that example and follow that example and have the same view of our lives, that we would put up with whatever suffering would come our way in this life to what end so people can hear the gospel because if people hear the gospel, Jesus will save some because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and God has called us to share it, to preach it, to live it out. There's no other way. It's his plan. He's gonna save people. He's gonna use us to tell them. But don't get it twisted. Patience is not the same as permission. The fact that God doesn't judge sin on the spot doesn't mean that he's given permission to some sin in our life or approval of a lifestyle, a habit, or addiction. His patience gives us an opportunity to repent. So the promise is given, right? He's not coming back. He's not coming back until all those who will reach repentance reach repentance. But then he gives the warning. Promises and warnings go together hand in hand in Scripture. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That day is coming. And this is, this is a good warning for unbelievers and believers. Man, don't, don't use his patience as an opportunity for the flesh. 
Don't buy into the lie that everything's okay because he hasn't hit you with a lightning bolt. Oh, no, no, no. He's patient. He knows that day's coming. He knows it's coming. This is a warning for unbelievers to repent. The meaning is clear. The Lord's return will be without warning and it'll be unwanted by those who have not repented and trusted in Christ. This is like a thief, right? A thief doesn't call you and say, hey, at uh, two o'clock in the morning, I'm gonna come by and steal your kid's bike from in front of your garage, right? Like, doesn't, they don't do that. You'd stop them. It's unwanted. You don't want, that, that's not a visitor you're looking forward to, right? For the unbeliever, that's what the, the return of the Lord will be like. No warning. The world will be going on as it always has, just like in the day of Noah, just like when they're eating and drinking and, and sinning and living as if God didn't exist, and then boom, the flood came. He's saying it'll be that way. Jesus will return to judge the world, and it's unwanted. And so that's a warning to unbelievers to know, man, no, things aren't always gonna be like they are right now. The world's not gonna keep spinning like it, like it is right now. Jesus will return. This life is but a vapor, and you will stand before the Lord and give an account of your life. And he, here's what's crazy to me. That for the mockers, they mock that it's been 2,000 years. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Whether Jesus returns in our lifetime or not, you only have one lifetime. Whether Jesus returns in our lifetime or not, you only get one lifetime. We read it earlier. Maybe 70 years, if by some means of strength, 80 years. What is that in light of eternity? A vapor. It's a point in a man wants to die and then to face judgment. So hear the warning. The warning is meant, meant for our good so that you would see the patience of the Lord and embrace his grace and mercy through the, through the gospel. This is also a warning and, and encouragement to believers. We do not know when he is coming. We won't know the hour, the day, the year, maybe even the decade, but we should not be caught unprepared. We should be ready like a good servant for his master to return. We should welcome the return of Christ with joy, not guilt or shame. I'll read that again. This is also a warning and encouragement to believers. We do not know when he is coming. We won't know the hour, the day, the year, maybe even the decade, but we should not be caught unprepared. We should be ready like a good servant for his master's return. We should welcome the return of Christ with joy, not with guilt or shame. In Matthew 24, I, and I don't have time to go there, but I encourage you to go read Matthew 24 because the main point that Jesus is saying is be ready. Be ready. Don't be caught living like the world when I come back. For them, it's like a thief. For us, yeah, it'll be unexpected, but we should be ready for it. We should live with an anticipation. And that'll be the difference between being caught found in sin and being caught found faithful. He says, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed this is God's judgment on every sin, every transgression, every iniquity, every thought, word, or deed of every kingdom, every nation, every tribe, every people group, every man, every woman. All of our acts will be seen in light of the holiness of God, and they will be judged accordingly. 
So please don't take the patience of God as indifference toward your sin. Listen to Romans chapter two, verse four. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Promise and warning. And he's coming. He hasn't come because he's patient, storing up wrath for the next great day of the Lord. So repent. Listen to Douglas Moo here. Imminence, defined biblically, means that the return of Christ and the culmination of history are always impending. The return of Christ is the next event in salvation history. The Christian must always live in expectation that human history may suddenly come to an end. So, our application. Again, I would say this. If if you're not a believer, if you haven't repented and put your faith and trust in Jesus, and I our prayer is that you would see this, that you'd hear the warning, that you would not presume on the kindness of God, but that you would, that you would repent, put your faith and trust in Jesus, experience his grace and his mercy and his love, and you would surrender to Christ and receive his salvation. That if you're a believer, that man, we would, that we'd see God's patience and allow it to humble us and to motivate us to emulate him. And why is, why is he not come back yet? So people can get saved. So what should we be about? Man, working so that people can know the gospel. That's what he told us to do before he left. That's what he told us to do. Go tell everybody. Everything else, listen to me, Red Oak. Everything else that we do in life, our families, our work, our hobbies, everything, everything better be leveraged for the good in the spread of the gospel. It doesn't mean we can't have a hobby. It doesn't mean you can't pursue a passion and work, but if you're not leveraging those things for the gospel, man, what are we doing? That's gonna burn up. That's gonna dissolve. It's not gonna last. It doesn't really matter. All, all that matters are eternal things, and the only eternal things on planet Earth right now are the souls of men and women and boys and girls. So let's be about showing them the goodness and the kindness and the love of God on display through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's be about that. And sneak peek into what's coming up, like that Jesus says that that, that hastens his return. How does that work? I don't know. I'm stuck in the flow of time with you. But God says it hastens his return. So you know what I do? I believe it. I believe it. So let's be about the gospel. Let's give Charles Spurgeon the last word here. God calls us until the world is destroyed with fire to go on saving men with all our might. Every year that passes is meant to be a year of salvation. Let us, let us make it so by more and more earnest efforts to bring sinners to the cross of Christ. I cannot think that the world is spared to increase its damnation. Christ came not to destroy the world, but that the world might be saved through him. So as every year rolls by, let us regard it as salvation. Let us spend and be spent in the hope that by any means we may save some pray with me.
Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your steadfast love. And Lord Jesus, God, Yahweh, we worship you for your patience. Thank you. Thank you for being patient with me, a sinner. Thank you that you didn't destroy me today because of my thoughts, but you're patient towards me. God, I I pray that we would wake up tomorrow morning with this on our mind that you're patient, but you are returning, and I pray that that would drastically change how we then spend our lives. God, I pray that you would receive glory and honor in how we worship you now through song, and I pray that in your kindness you would lead lost men and women to repentance right now, that you would convict them of sin and and give them the gift of of faith, and that they would cry out in belief and repentance, and that they would surrender to you, and that you would be glorified. We love you, Lord, in Christ's name.